Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That prayer is especially meaningful to me today because the nightmare of a preacher has just occurred. The story that I prepared a sermon on was not the Old Testament story that we just heard today. So I'm going to catch you up to speed and I'm not really worried about it because unfortunately is one that we are all familiar with, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now it is found in Genesis chapter 18 and the Lord says, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. And so the men turned from there and went down towards Sodom, where Abraham remained, standing before the Lord. And then Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you then sweep them away in the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? And so God goes on and Abraham goes on and he questions God and he continues to bargain with God. Well, what if there's only 45 or what if there's only 40 or what if there's only 35 or what if there's only 10? And it is at that point, God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Now, I want to start by reminding you just how early in our faith this story of God and of Sodom and Gomorrah is in our Bibles and in the history of our faith. You know, two weeks ago, there was a group of scientists from NASA who, using the Webb telescope, they shared with the world an amazing photograph. And it was of some of the oldest stars and galaxies in the universe. The shot was taken, um, it was of stars and galaxies that were well over 13 billion years old. They're getting close to seeing the very beginning of creation, which they calculate began 13.7 billion years ago. Now the author of Genesis, he was also thinking about the beginning of creation as he began his story of God in that very first book of the Bible. And this is where we find the story of Abraham, the part of this Old Testament lesson that is set for today. And I want to begin by reminding you just how early it is in the history of faith. I want you to remember that at this point, there is no scripture, no history has been written down anywhere. The only thing to give people the um, indication as to the existence of a God who is somewhere out there is creation itself. Theologians call this the book of nature. However, the people of the world that has now grown into nations and tribes and families and individuals and, and they're scattered around in cities, they aren't reading the book of nature correctly. They are getting it wrong. It's supposed to point to the existence of God, God Almighty, the God we know and worship. But instead, they are getting it wrong and they are worshiping other gods and other idols, idols that they've created with their own hands. And there is good in the world and there is evil in the world. So at this point in history, 
This is where God embarks on his plan of salvation. And he does this by calling the very first two people, Abraham and Sarah. And he gives them a promise. He gives them a promise of a child, of descendants, and he gives them a promise of land. And he gives all this to, in a conversation or in a vision to Abraham. And I can just imagine Abraham and going home, going home and telling Sarah, by the way, I talked to God, and she could be saying, well, which one? And then saying, oh, and he wants us, he's going to give us a child, and we're going to go, and we're going to have this, all this land, and we're going to have all these descendants, and he wants us to pack up and go ahead and go there. And I can just imagine Sarah's response initially. Because initially, at this point, if y'all will remember, Abraham was 74 years old, and Sarah was 65 but anyway, they do what they say. They, they obey God. They pack up all their stuff and their, and their tents and they mount it all on camels. And then they grab their nephew Lot and they head off hundreds of miles up and around until they get to this place and God says, stop, you're here. This is where I want you to be. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they have twists and they have turns in their faith, just like us. They question as they, and they try to discern, what is God's will? What is he asking me to be? How is this promise supposed to occur? And 24 years go by, which brings us up to the opening edge of the story we're about to hear, or the story we just heard. I want to start with what happened yesterday. Not the story of Abraham that happened today, the one that happened the day before. Because the day before, three men, three angels, God, come and visit Sarah at their tent. And during a feast that they throw for him, God announces to Abraham and Sarah, good news, this time next year, that baby that I have promised you will arrive. Extraordinary news, wonderful news. And Sarah laughs because at this point, she's 90 years old and Abraham is 99. And so now we get to the story of today. It's the next day. And Abraham is walking along with God as God continues his trek around along his holy land, his promised land. And Abraham is with him. And God decides that he needs to tell Abraham what he's about to do. That he's going to Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of the evil within them, God intends to wipe them out. Now, two things you need to know about these cities. First, this is where Abraham's nephew, Lot, lives. And second, there's a whole lot of evil going on in these cities. Of what kind, we do not know the full extent. In light of what we do know from the Old Testament, we can surmise that things that are intolerable to God are going on in these cities. Things like deep evil, very well including the worship of other gods including the sacrifice of children and temple prostitution. And so God determines in his wisdom to wipe these cities out. 
and he decides to share this information with Abraham. And so we hear Abraham questioning God, doing that bargaining that I read about just a moment ago. And God therefore makes an agreement with Abraham. If there are 10 righteous men in this city, I will not wipe them out. And apparently there were not. And so the only three people to survive the uh, annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah is Lot and his two daughters. Now this is a tough story about God. And the truth is there are a lot more of this kind in the Old Testament if you were to read it. In morning prayer over the last couple of weeks, we've been reading about Joshua, the exploits of the first leader of Israel that followed Moses. And Joshua is the one who finally led the exiles into the promised land. And they had to conquer it through war. And often the battles involved complete annihilation, extermination of entire cities, men, women, children, and even the animals. Now these passages make me and probably you and many others in this world squirm. We therefore are also often tempted to ignore them and skip over them. They can make us wonder, if God is like that, do I want to follow him? Do I want to worship him? These are the the passages that lead people to question God. I cannot believe in a God like that. We've all heard that. And so I pray and I wonder about what I can learn about God from passages like these. I wonder if we should perhaps begin by truly putting ourselves into the position of Abraham and Sarah in those days. Because if we can, I think the first thing we may realize is how very a lot we are like them. In our walk of faith with God, when we find God, we look to him for, for his promises. We love it when we can hear his call in our lives and calling us to where he wants us to be. We love a God who clearly shows us our way. We also love God who, who we can easily understand what he expects us to do. And the same God who blesses us, we love him when he blesses us with babies and land and good things. We're all about those promises. We love this God. But then after 24 years, Abraham finally begins to see the broader character of God. He starts to get a glimmer of God's perfect holiness, God's perfect piety, God's perfect inability to tolerate evil, and God's perfect justice. And these are things that make Abraham afraid. These are the things that Abraham and we do not want to contemplate for long. These are things like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the wars of Joshua as he exterminates the people living in the promised land so that his people can live there instead and begin the nation of God. The things about God that make us fear him and make us want to hide because we know in our heart of hearts that we are not and cannot ever be perfectly holy and faithful and true. And so we begin playing hide and seek with God, seeking his love, his peace, his strength, his courage, and his blessings, all the while hoping he does not see 
the darkness, that part of us, we would like to keep hidden from his view. You know, there is evil in this world, some of which we can aid in rectifying, but a whole lot of which we graciously will never know about and never witness. Unspeakable horrors, things that make me afraid. There are modern day versions of temple prostitution, child sacrifice, despotic rulers, tortures, and wars. Things I never, ever want to witness, much less endure. And so I'm grateful for a God who does see it and will rectify it. As Jesus says in one of his parables, we are living, we are the wheat living among the tares and God sends down rain upon the evil and the good. God will sort it all out in the end. And ancient Israel understood this. Read the Psalms where the people of God call upon him to deal with evil and oppression. In the meantime, here's what I know. If we seek God, we will find him. And if we ask for him, we will receive. And so perhaps the best I can do with these tough passages where God deals with evil is to look at them through the lens of the cross. Because on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ took all of that evil and darkness upon him. He was the holy child who was sacrificed. He was the one who was tortured and oppressed and slaughtered by evil. The one upon which all God's judgment of evil, of creation, nations, cities, families, and even the darkness within each one of us, it was all taken by him, all that ever was and ever will be. And through the cross, and then the unexpected resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, and the sharing of his Holy Spirit, I begin to see that there are parts of God beyond my knowing and that the wisdom of God is beyond our wisdom. And through the cross, I'm overwhelmed by the perfect true love of God. Therefore, instead of hiding, I can seek. I can boldly pray to God, our Father, for our daily bread, for his will to be done, for his strength. And I can also pray that he delivers me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Yes.